Yes, friends, on a Thursday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where I am your host, Adam Armbrecht, covering Big Blue and also the Brooklyn Nets coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Dallas Mavericks and former Net Spencer Dinwiddie over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my guy, Doug Norrie. We, of course, are excited to have you in on the Thursday show where we'll update another addition into the New York Football Giants roster talk about what didn't happen with James Bradbury as the free agency period start to, started to uh, unfold here, and then also some additional roster notes around some injuries, uh, contract kind of set up here for Sterling Shepard heading into the season, and some pro day notes that could have an impact on how the New York football giants approach the, approach, excuse me, the draft next month. We kick it off, though, of course, with the newest member of the New York Football Giants, and that is former Washington Commander tight end Ricky Seals-Jones. The name's familiar. I think everybody, you know, you've seen him in and around the league. Came in with Arizona, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Gave you 30 receptions for 270 yards. The interesting, I guess, note around him is that he was a former five-star recruit coming out of Texas A&M. He played out of the slot. He was a little bit oversized, bigger frame there. Never really lived up to the billing and then made the transition to tight end when he came out of college because he wasn't necessarily the quickest player in that regard. From a Giants perspective, 27 years old, has some experience. You go inside the stats, I mean, the thing that jumps out that you don't like is that he does not have a great catch percentage, though I think in and around the line of scrimmage, you certainly can look at him and think he's going to have a little bit more value for the Giants. Um, They needed a body in the room. First and foremost, right? You're going to head into the draft. I think that tight end is certainly going to be a target for them. How early in the draft would they be willing to commit capital to go get one? This way, you just put this baseline in there for you. And I also think when we project around the idea of what is Brian Dable's offensive system going to look like, what is Kafka's influence going to be, you want to have a little bit of versatility. And if you consider the idea that we have Kadarius Toney, he can play all over the field, it'd be nice to have someone out of the tight end spot that can play in line or move out there into the slot, create some flexibility around how Canarius Tony can get used. We know that we look at Kenny Galladay as being primarily an outside wide receiver, but he's lined up at different places uh, throughout the lineup as well. The only real pure traditional uh, guy is probably going to be Darius Slayton, although he's not necessarily a lock here depending on how things unfold over the next month or so. Um, this is the bargain. This is the bargain bin shopping that you're doing if you're, of course, Joe Shane and the New York Football Giants. I think it makes sense. It's nothing to get too excited about, but I, I think the one thing on the offensive side of the ball for the Giants is you have to kind of look at guys and say, well, they may punch above their weight class a little bit in what should be a dynamic offensive scheme that the Giants run and one that really tries to utilize space create a lot of different mismatches throughout the field. And then, again, depending on the other talent at wide receiver, at running back that they add here, maybe not necessarily in free agency, but in the draft, you can just start to have a lot of of good opportunities for some guys that are giving you 270 yards. Well, guess what? You want to give us three, 400 yards, you know, as a New York York Giant? We'll take that because we haven't had guys that we've really been able to rely on, let alone the myriad of other positions that we have of need. Now, beyond that, we take a look just over at an injury note around, obviously, the signing and free agency of John Feliciano from the Buffalo Bills. Nick Gates did suffer a setback in his recovery timeline, so we don't know what that's going to mean, short of saying uh, that 
he has the pin rod inserted into his leg, obviously. Whatever the setback is going to look like and whatever the expectations may have been for his opportunity to return with the Giants, it certainly has gotten a little bit murkier. And remember, there is money to be saved there uh, by releasing him north of $2 million. So uh, combined with already, as soon as they signed Feliciano, when you add Glowitzki, right, when you add, when you're probably going to add more in the draft as well. Players like this, unfortunately, you have to look at and say, Every cap dollar is going to count. We'll see how it plays out, though. Maybe he ends up on uh, that IR, and you can try to figure some things out from that standpoint. But, uh, again, what what is the long-term viability for Nick Gates? He's going to be in the final year of his contract. You don't see him being a long-term option for the Giants. So, effectively, sad as it may be, that could spell the end for his time as a New York football giant. Sterling Shepard, then, as well, just around a note on his contract status, I thought it was just worth breaking it down an extra little bit here. So uh, he'll come into it with a $1.5 million uh, contract-based salary and a $500,000 signing bonus. But in addition, there's a $250,000 workout bonus and then a per-game roster bonus of $750,000. Also catch incentives at 40 60 and 80 now, obviously, they brought it down from that $6.2 million, and next year is a fully voidable year in his contract. For whatever it's worth, it's a reasonable you know, bonus incentive here for Sterling Shepard. If he can get healthy and get back on the field now at any point this season, say it takes him the first six weeks before he gets back on the field, if he can give you, depending on where the bye week falls, give you 10 games and pull in, 750000 per game? Yeah, that's going to be significant. And if we want to be as optimistic as we possibly can be for the longest tenured giant, if he can be out there and be healthy, he can actually be an impact player for you to whatever level. Even if he's the third, fourth wide receiver after we get through free agency in the draft on this roster, that would actually be a great thing to have at the back end here. We know they added uh, Foster from the Bills. We know they're bringing back C.J. Board as well. Those are special teamer guys. Those are back end, fifth, sixth guys, if that, in the wide receiver room. So certainly they've been brought into the door. But, but Sterling Shepard still has value if he can be healthy. And if not, it's a really low-risk opportunity for the Giants here, obviously, and they avoid all those things we talked about before, the dead cap hit in straight releasing him. You weren't going to have a trade market for him, obviously, either. The other big note, then, is on, of course, one James Bradbury, who the speculation was, still is, that the Giants are going to try to move him. We saw the Las Vegas Raiders, who he had been connected to, reuniting with Patrick Graham. Uh, they made some big splash moves, shuffled the deck a lot, and Gakwe goes on the move once again. But... They never came to a deal, and it seems like the reports are teams, maybe the Raiders throwing out this idea of a fifth-round pick. Giants obviously want more capital for it. Now, the price cost on that was $2 million of his contract does become fully guaranteed by holding on to him past the 4 p.m. deadline. However, it still opens up a few different opportunities. The expectations are that you continue to work through free agency and see how the market plays itself out. Are there cornerback needy teams that will come back to the table and say if we could go and just outright sign a player in free agency and keep all of our draft assets for 10 to 12 million dollars of course that's the ideal if that comes up short 
the Giants will be eating some level of dead cap, but then obviously a team like the Raiders would say, we're still going to get a quality cornerback in here. It may cost us some capital, but the number actually base salary wise will come down a little bit for a team that trades for him, not by a ton. And again, work your way through the draft, see how that plays itself out. The restructure option obviously seems like the least likely or least desired direction to go if you're Joe Shane and the Giants. If they were to do so, that could be earmarked for $6.2 million, and you could effectively look at that as being the cap relief or earmarked money for your draft class. Put it towards that number. That's not the ideal version of this scenario, but maybe that's the way that it plays out. As I said, initially when we talked about the pre-June 1 cut, these numbers have now been changed in effect with the $2 million of guaranteed money. So right now, if they were to cut them, it'd be $11 million, $11.7 million in dead cap with $10 million in cap relief. So you've gone from that near $13 million down to closer to $10 million. Uh, the pre-June 1 trade, still going to be good numbers for you there. 9.7 in dead, 12.1 in cap relief. And when we think about any post-June 1 cut, that's going to be about even money at 10-3 in dead, 11-5 in cap relief. Could obviously take care of your uh, draft class if you needed to go that way. And a trade post-June 1, 8.3 dead, 13.5 in cap relief. So there you go, right? There's still options on the table here for the Giants. And while you may sit here and say as cap-strapped as the New York football Giants are, being able to spend the $2 million, quote-unquote, and see how this market plays itself out is the best version of what you can do here. Because unfortunately, I think there is this threshold, and this is what I talked about. I'm not taking a victory lap on it, but if you tell me that there was, if the market you say fair fair deal will be a third round pick for him, apples to apples, and you're getting teams that are saying we'll give you a fifth. Were the Giants willing to take a fourth on him? Have to speculate and wonder if that could have been a possibility. But if you're the Giants, there's a threshold here of saying, okay, again, is he a scheme fit? No. There were also the reports too, Wink Martindale. It's like the idea of a defensive coordinator wants to keep talent on that side of the ball. And if you're worth your weight and salt, you're going to say, he's not a scheme fit, I'll make it work. Because as, as Andy and I have talked about, if you move James Bradbury, and that can still be what we all desire, but if you move him, you create a new hole in the roster. And then when you look ahead to the draft, and we've all talked about Sauce Gardner, is he worth the pick at five or seven? Even if, And what if you can't get him there? What if you value offensive line and a Quonu falls to you, and then you value edge rusher, and you can get a Thibodeau, you can get a Walker? All of a sudden, you're moving yourself into the second round and looking on the other side across from a Dory Jackson and knowing that you have this glaring need to fill. So if push comes to shove, and the Giants keep getting closer to the season and say, here we are. Do we want to outright release this guy to get the cap relief? Do we need to do that this year right now? Or are we willing to enter into the season knowing that, okay, he's not a perfect fit, but he's still a solid corner, and we'll live with those results in the short term, wait to see how the first five, six, seven weeks play out, and then go to the trade market at the deadline. While, while we can say were there players that they wanted to go after, and there were reports that the Giants were trying to be in on Andrew Norwell's services, uh, but at seven, eight, nine million million per year, how committed could they have been to that? This is the perfect scenario where you say, well, if you had been able to move James Bradbury, would that have been a 
higher market player on the on the offensive line that you would have gone and pursued. Okay, that's the give and take here. And by the way, if the Giants wanted a player bad enough and the function of getting him was outright releasing James Bradbury and dealing with the dead cap, they would have. And that's why I think you're playing in these margins a little bit if you're the Giants, if you're Joe Shane, if you're Wink Martindale. These conversations have to be going on and saying, what will it look like if plan A, B, C, or D goes into effect? Again, I like James Bradbury. I'd be very curious to get inside of Wink Martindale's brain and, and ask that question. What is the diminishment of his value based on how he fits in your scheme? He's still an experienced veteran cornerback that could be valuable to what degree. We'll see how it plays itself out. Still anticipate him being traded. Just a matter of when and who is willing to come to the table with an offer that Joe Shane feels is the right level of compensation because you can't do it for a sixth-round pick. You want to at least get, I think, a fourth-rounder. And if you look inside of this year's draft class versus next year's draft class, maybe that's a space where they dance too a little bit. We would like to have a third-rounder this year. If you're talking about giving me a fourth this year, can I get a sixth-rounder next year? Can I get a little bit of diminished but multiple uh, draft assets in return for him? That's what they need to sort out. We'll see how it plays out. The other piece that we wanted to touch on as well is not only were the Giants at the Georgia Pro Day, which has a slew from uh, Tyndall, the the mid-round, maybe high, second, third, potentially, round linebacker from Georgia. We know about Trayvon Walker at the top of the draft. We know about uh, Slayer, who we mentioned there on the offensive line, the slew of incredibly talented uh, you know, Georgia crop of candidates coming out in this draft. But the Giants were also at... Uh, Michigan State's Pro Day, where the main attraction there is Kenneth Walker, the running back who really stormed onto the season here, stormed onto the field, excuse me, this past season, giving a pretty darn impressive stat line that I want to get up in front of me here just to break down for everybody, if I can find it, at 5'9", 211 pounds, and a 4'3", 840, by the way, at the Combine, rushed for 1,600 yards, 1,636 if we want to be exact, 18 touchdowns. Listen, college stats can sometimes look quite glowingly, um, but also ran away with a lot of the uh, national awards at the running back position, finished with first-team All-Big Ten selection as well. The question here becomes, say, he'll be there at the top of the second round at pick 36, and we've been having now the other conversation. James Bradbury is the big piece. Saquon Barkley is the other one. I, again, still think that he is going to get moved here because it's just a smart, short, long-term decision by the New York football giants. And again, let's just take everything else off the table about what you're going to get in a trade asset and how you would spend any amount of money, et cetera. He's not coming back on a deal next year. And we can talk about the compensatory formula, and I understand that, but if you think about how much money the Giants are going to have next season and you think about the talent that they could target in free agency, the likelihood that they have more top 35 percentile talent of the NFL coming in the door next offseason and less going out, that's a very high percentage chance that it's going to be the case, at which point the value in the formula is going to be diminished. That being the case, though, how high are the Giants willing to look to replace him? Again, spending the second overall pick in the NFL draft on a running back, that's a mistake. But there's been a number of opportunities you know, over, over the last five, six years where guys in the second round have had a lot of success. Kenneth Walker could be one of them. It looks like uh, Del, uh, Delvin Cook's brother out is also going to be coming out this year. 
he's probably closer to 100 than to you know, 30, 36, but he's somewhere in the middle ground there too. It'll be interesting to see, obviously, if the Giants were to move Saquon Barkley ahead of the draft, then you could see a real push here, at least in the second or third round, to go and target someone that you think is a plug-and-play running back as opposed to if Saquon makes it through the draft for the Giants, if he's on this team going into training camp, and if the expectations are, at the very least, he's going to be on the roster to start the year, and we'll see where the market looks as we work towards the trade deadline, then I think you can start to look at a running back in the fourth, fifth, sixth round and say, is this a guy that we can bring along, develop, uh, I think Pierce out of Florida State. There's a number of guys on the back end of the draft as well. Out of Florida, excuse me, with the Gators. Number of players you could say, hey, if we get a full training camp with him and we get the first five, six, seven weeks of the season to work with him and develop his skill set, we know they brought in Williams, took a flyer on him from the Bills, we can, we can prepare ourselves to move on from Saquon Barkley. That's obviously an option. I personally believe you go out, you scout a guy like this, you see the numbers that he's putting up, you see the 40 time, you see that while he surged this past season, he had low tread in the previous two years at the college level, which I always think is a bonus factor when you're looking at these running backs. Guys that only had 80 carries per season for two or three seasons in college versus someone who was the bell cow back but also means they tax themselves with six, seven, eight hundred carries in their collegiate career. That's mileage you can't put back on the tire when they get to the pros. So we'll have to see certainly how that plays itself out. No other reports at this time of the recording. We're coming in midday on Thursday. We'll see if any other action comes in here for the New York football giants and if they can get themselves, maybe another another player or two here in free agency, some low-level guys, insurance policies, obviously. We've highlighted the other players that they brought into this point. And just as we do get out the door, I will say that at the end of the day, among players who were Giants unrestricted free agents that we haven't heard any buzz about, um, but a player like Lorenzo Carter, I, I wouldn't hate if the market doesn't look substantial for him. Come back on a one-year prove-it deal. I think the price will be right, and I think that he could really shine, even if it is only for one more season with the Giants. Be a nice value return. Has, obviously, familiarity with some of the other defensive players, both on the line and on the other side from there with the will be second-year man, Aziz Ojolari. But there really aren't any other players here when we talk about the Giants' current crop of free agency. Um, none of the offensive linemen like Skura. Now, Jalen Smith was an interesting one. Um, you know, He was on the roster. Obviously, they brought him in during the year last year. He's been a little bit of a letdown from where he came in. Formerly of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if there'd be any real incentive to bring him back, but I did like what I saw from him, knowing the Giants have Quincy Roche and Cam Brown and you know, Carter Coughlin, they adjusted Blake Martinez's contract. They do have a handful of guys here to go along with Aziz Ojolari, so I don't know if I would anticipate that, but Reggie Ragland's not going to be making his way back. Billy Price is not going to be making his way back. You know, uh, guys guys like this. Uh, we've already seen Austin Johnson signed elsewhere. So the only last other name I guess you could throw out there would be Jabril Peppers. We know that he is a talented player, albeit one that has dealt with injuries. Is there any world where, again, because of familiarity, he's a guy from the area, from New Jersey originally, could you get him back on, again, a team-friendly deal that could keep him in the room and then maybe afford some flexibility around a player like Logan Ryan? Because as it stands right now, you look back there, we know little jack-of-all-trades like Julian Love, he still represents, to me, a candidate to clear some cap room as you can get north of $2 million by letting him go. And if he's not in your big big picture plans, you talk about where we started at the top. Nick Gates, 
Julian Love, lump those together. Hey, we just got nearly $5 million cleared off the books here. Every little dollar is going to count, especially after you chose to pay the $2 million in guaranteed money to James Bradbury to see how the rest of this offseason plays itself out. You can come right back in and check out the mock draft. We have Pro Football Focus, their simulator, which is what I've been running on. Their latest mock draft had the New York Football Giants, for whatever it's worth, going with edge rusher Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State and then taking a look at Trevor Penning, the Northern Iowa product at tackle at seven. So no trade downs in this scenario. They go at the board as it currently exists. Both of these prospects I like. Both of these prospects have been pushing up the board in the combine. Penning did himself a lot of favors at the combine with his performance. Now, the question for me is, and I don't have where the rest of this board went on this mock draft, but you have to wonder if it'd be in line with what Andy and I have said. You like Okwonu, you like Neil. If it's cross, I move past him. I let him sit on the board there, or I would try to trade back if you're there at five, and that's your only option at the tackle position on the offensive line. Likewise for the edge rusher. If Thibodeau is gone, we obviously, Hutchinson, we just assume is going to be gone. What happens with with Walker there? I happen to like him a lot, but one of the things I'm trying to reevaluate is the size that he plays at, the role that he will fill for the New York football giants, and what it'll look like for Wink Martindale. Jermaine Johnson, he's been living in the mid-20s you know, as far as a prospect. Is he rising up high enough into the teens, and then based on where the first four picks go, and then in between there with Carolina, could this present an option for the Giants? I'm going to come back in here. You can check out a mock draft scenario. We're going to walk through a couple different versions from one or two trade-down options at the top of the draft. If you need to target replacements for James Bradbury and for Saquon Barkley, how high would you do that? And how can you create value and depth at the wide receiver and tight end position, spending some of that mid to late round draft capital to really fill out this roster in the short term as we look to see how everything develops under Brian Dable, under Kafka, under Martin. We'll be back again, of course, talking all things New York football giants. Please subscribe to the YouTube page. Hit the like button if you could be so kind. Get the podcast where you get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz, were he to be here to my right, would want, need, and nay, demand all the fine people know. Let's go Big Blue.